Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. find it in you to survive if you are worthy then i will make you into something more than them something eternal so says apocalypse the x-men have had all sorts of time travelers and time traveler adjacent concepts whether it's rachel summers chrono skimming herself back from the days of future past or cable inserting himself in the 60s as the ascani son hellbent on stopping the rise of apocalypse or it's destiny who can see countless futures or wolverine who's lived countless lives there have been all sorts of time travelers and time stories in the x-men there has never for one moment been a story remotely like house of x number two and I mean, the second I read it, I began freaking the fuck out and messaging everyone I love. And a whole bunch of those people that I love are here today. And I need them to help me talk about my new second favorite X-Man of all time, Moira X. With me to discuss this is Jonah X. Jonah, welcome back. Hello, everyone. I am here. With us is, as always, Kyle X. Kyle, welcome back. Hello. And of course, with us is Warpath Dylan X. Warpath Dylan X. Welcome back. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> All right. So I'm pretty sure I freaked out kind of immediately upon this issue because the standard cover has like all that fractal images of Moira and no one knew what any of that shit meant. So, okay. And then there are those really gorgeous connecting variants that have been coming out for a while. And that variant is really gorgeous. And then there's the Gene variant by Alan Davis. So like I started this one kind of pissing myself and then I opened it up and it was crazier. But before we can get into that, I wanna start with talking a little bit about House and Powers and where we're at. These have been crazy. House of X introduced us to the Krakoan gateway flowers and the human drugs that can be synthesized from them. Kyle, I know that you probably had the strongest reaction to how this would change the bigger picture of the Marvel Universe. You said that you even found it unsettling when we were talking about House of X, number one. Taking a look at how far the story has come from those Krakoan flowers, where is your head at right now? My head feels like it has exploded. I am overloaded with what's going on right now. I don't think there's any other choice. I don't think there's any other way to be. Dylan, when we talked about Powers of Ten, number one, you were so involved in the time jumps and the different aspects of the future, and you even compared it to a number of the existing alternate futures. Then we get this issue, which was all about existing alternate futures in a new way. I think I found myself most stunned by the way that for something so new, House of X and Powers of Ten are managing to draw together some of the most varied influences from the X universe. 
Have you noticed how much of this is about the new contrasted against the old? It's very uniquely put together. I, in the past couple of years, X-Men comics have always drawn on the years of nostalgia. But these books, House of X and Powers of Ten, seem to be grabbing important aspects of all X-Men history. And I think that is what's making these two titles pretty amazing. I agree completely. And something that's been cracking me up is every time I go to the comic shop, my jaw kind of drops because I feel like something else we've done here on X's for Podcast has shown back up at a comic shop one way or another. When I walked in to buy my copy of House of X number two, I decided to peruse through some of those Marvel Legacy covers they've been releasing, where they've been re-releasing classic issues, including their original advertisements. Giant Size X-Men number one, they have Champions number one. They have so much stuff that we've covered here on this show, and that's kind of making me realize how much the stuff we're talking about is coming back up in big, big ways right now. Jonah... I couldn't have designed a better time for you to jump into the X-Men with things like Krakoa being so fresh in your mind within the last six months, now being the only word you're allowed to say when you read this title. Yes, you know, the mutant I thought would be the first of many, many, many to be thrown into the sun plays probably one of the biggest roles here in that Krakoa isn't just a mutant. Krakoa is an idea that was seeded into Charles and now he's seeding into basically every other mutant, which now includes Moira McTaggart, which is fascinating it's really interesting to see what's being drawn upon as an influence from past comics and taking what is good or taking something small an idea and running with it in a way that i don't think anybody expected when house of x and powers of 10 was first released and you know i don't think there's a better time to jump in than right now House of X number two was written by Jonathan Hickman. I think I should say birthed by Jonathan Hickman. I don't think there's a better way to refer to it. And drawn by Pepe Larraz with colors by Marta Gracia. And I, number one, the colors in this book are some of the greatest colors I've ever seen in my life. And I feel like the biggest thing I walked away from, this is, I don't even like, I'm so stammered because the first two pages of actual story, so pages two and three of the book, for my money are possibly the two pages that moved the X-Men comics forward the most since Cassandra Nova committed genocide. And I am so blown away, and I can't wait to start discussing it with you guys. Those first six pages, Moira McTaggart's formative life, were told that she lived a boring life, and then all of a sudden the details are kind of wrong to the things we know. We know that she marries Joe McTaggart, a dumb son of a bitch. She has a child who turns out to be a murderous son of a bitch. And I'm pretty sure she's the only human to ever die of the legacy virus. So I don't know what any of this stuff is talking about. And then all of a sudden, it's in her second life, and she's a fetus. And I'm like, hey, fetus. Oh, and then there's that jaunty hat she's wearing again. I like the jaunty hat. And then all of a sudden, she's a fucking mutant! So I definitely had some reactions to that. And I'd like to start with Dylan, because Dylan, since you were a a wee Warpathian, you loved the X-Men, and there are certain things we know to be true. Charles Xavier is the representation of the patriarchy of mutants in a loving avuncular way. Magneto represents mutant patriarchy in a you-don't-leave-that-uncle-alone-with-teen-girls kind of way. 
Moira McTaggart was always the humanity that was ready to accept mutancy in the Marvel Universe. Moira McTaggart was the lifeblood of humanity for the X-Men. And now, as I screamed a moment ago, she's a fucking mutant. Dylan, when you read that Moira McTaggart, Moira X, was a fucking mutant, how did your brain stay in your head? It did not. Like you said, that second page where we read Moira eventually died at the age of 74 when she passed peacefully in her sleep, I was just like, uh, no, she didn't. Uh, what is happening? I'm like, dreams end. Dreams yeah. end, motherfucker. Dreams <laughs> and end. page three, Moira's second life. What? Moira, what? Yeah, I, like you said, my, my brain did not stay in my head. Moira being a mutant, it, <laughs> there's not even words to describe how confused, excited. Yeah, there's no words. Yeah, confused and excited. Because, like... It makes total sense. Not a word of it is wrong. It's totally what I want, and I love it so much. Now, Kyle, Moira McTaggart, I don't know if she means the same thing to you that she's come to mean to Jonah and I, where every appearance of Moira McTaggart is us screaming, YES, GET THE MACHINE GUN! But I know that early X-Men is something that you care about a lot. This takes that era, that giant size era, and it spins it on its head. How do you feel about the evolution of the evolution of the evolutionaries? It's like taking something that we've known and loved and just spinning it around and putting it on its head and just everything's different, but it's all the same. And I just, I love it. I love it, right? I can't stop loving it. This might be my favorite single issue of X-Men of all time. I thought this was just the best thing I've ever read. So Jonah, Jonah, your turn to try and hold me back from screaming. There's that two pages of prose where they tell us all the things we need to know about Moira. And one of the things they give us is that Moira had an option. She could either be a passive passenger to everything going on in her life, or she could become active and change reality and create divergent timelines. This is the closest thing to choose your own adventure the X-Men could possibly give us without being battle books. Ten points if you remember battle books. I, of course, do have a complete set of them. The Rogue battle book is the best. Uh, Dark Child's battle book is also very good. So, And that's not Magic Dark Child. That's Randy Geller's Dark Child. So for all of you 90s indies kids, the Dark Child. So... <clears throat> Jonah, when you think to yourself, Moira McTaggart, her significance to the X-Men, and how this changes everything, how did it feel going back and seeing the X-Men as a franchise through the eyes of a woman who had always been a passenger in the story? You know, it's pretty interesting because everything is starting to make sense now in that Moira was always special because she was the human that everyone kind of went back to for... The relationship and the idea that humans and mutants can work out and be co-peaceful together, especially because she knows so much about mutancy. She knows so much about the, the genetics and the X gene itself and the mutant gene. But now this brings a completely different light into what all what that all meant in for what Moira's role in the X-Men and the X-Verse and the X-Men franchise. Her role basically shifted everything upside down, sideways, backwards, forwards, and every which direction. Now that we know that Moira is a mutant and has the power to control which way the story goes, we've technically only read one timeline, which is the current timeline that Moira is on. 
there are nine other timelines that we only get pieces to right now. And those pieces are like a what's what of the multiverse of the X-Men. John Hickman is probably best known in comics at this point for Secret Wars, the massive reset on the multiverse that Marvel executed the Ultimate Universe with several years ago. He was not just the architect behind that massiveness, but he wrote all of the Avengers titles leading up to it. John Hickman loves the idea of more and bigger, and I'm trying to imagine that Moira McTaggart is her own multiverse... And we're seeing these sort of fractals of her. And I don't know if that was an idea implanted thanks to the brilliant cover, the standard cover that we mentioned earlier. But the story manages to take something I've always felt, Moira as a passenger, and spin it. Because here, Xavier is the passenger. I think there's something very interesting about Xavier outing himself as a mutant, being so reminiscent of when he does so during the Cassandra Nova story in New X-Men. And from there we get the Cure storyline from Astonishing X-Men. It's just, it's a best of X-Men. And I also love that this is the first time we're starting to get the reused art that's going to help tell the story so beautifully. We're seeing moments that we've already seen in X-Men and we're seeing them differently. We're seeing art that we're seeing this issue and then we're seeing it used differently. That's a really creative level to the storytelling. Jonah, for my money reused art as a storytelling device is very clever and the fact that it allows a 22 page book to become a 30 something page book really gives me my money's worth how do you feel about reused art intra issue i think reused art can be good but it has to be done well and i think house of x2 uses it extremely well because it is the same art but it's not telling the same story each time we're getting a different perspective of moira in a different timeline and what that means for her and what she's experiencing we see her in the bar multiple times but each time we see her in the bar in the exact same position following that part of her story she has a completely different thought and a different plan of what she has to do to try to save mutant kind. Save mutant kind or destroy mutant kind? That's the question. Kyle, you know Moira McTaggart as the kindly doctor here to save everybody. She's Wolvesbane's mama. And she's also, you know, Proteus's mom. And that's maybe a little less save everyone. But what ran through your head when a sort of deranged looking Moira McTaggart is like, I've done it. I've created the mutant cure. I was super confused with that. I, this was not the Moira that I was expecting. I've seen the results of what these so-called mutant cures cause when they go into into the world through other stories so it was like are they really going through this again and it turns out it's not that they're going through it again but in john hickman's eyes they already went through it i've made a comment that i feel that moira was a passenger up through now in the x-men story but if all of these things are things Moira already knows, as they tell us, she knows more than the people who made her. She knows more than the people younger than her, than older than her. She knows everything, right? Moira McTaggart has actually been setting the stage for everything the X-Men have ever done, thanks to her previous lives. And of course, Moira doesn't get to use the mutant cure because of the scene that I'm pretty sure... Dylan, I'm absolutely positive when you and I read this scene, our brains combined in space and we formed the binary Nova. And I, whether it's the exquisite use of nine panel grid, which listen to me now, if you don't know how to use nine panel grid, don't use it. It is such 
a necessary technique. The best example of the nine panel grid you will ever find in this world is Warren Ellis and Ben Temple Smith's Fell, which was a procedural story with 16 pages of comic and then back matter that was released about a decade ago. It's the best use of nine panel grid I've ever seen in my life. Dylan, this Destiny, Mystique, and Moira sequence, I gotta know, man. I gotta know, right from the Warpath's mouth. Nine panel grid, especially with the one and only Destiny, is the perfect way to tell a story with Destiny's powers and now with Moira's. To be able to get all of that information out there and just the back and forth between the two of them. I could have had a whole a whole book of these two just talking to each other. It was amazing. Yeah, and Nine Panel Grid tells that emotional face work so well. If it weren't for Nine Panel Grid, sort of widescreen big motion of this story would completely lose the emotional integrity of this sequence. Destiny interacts with Moira's mind and comes to see that her power is reincarnation and says that her power even disguises itself, but not once you know what to look for. Destiny then lets... Moira know that thanks to her ability, she is in many ways much older than Moira, and she can see all of Moira's lives. As a matter of fact, Moira only has 10 or 11. Moira doesn't believe this and tells her no, but that's not so much something Destiny's gonna go for. And I think one of the best things about this exchange is Moira says, what if I don't believe what you've said is true or that what you want is right? And Destiny says, my dear, you're a scientist. You tell me how one would go about proving something like that. If this is a gambit, if this is a brilliant plot, if this is something that Destiny saw she could cause, not necessarily this is the truth, but by saying this, she could manipulate things into her own truth. This is the greatest gambit of all time. If it's not a gambit, this is still one of the coolest sequences I have ever read in my life. The only thing I don't care for is the sort of grimdark ending. Now, Kyle, I know you and I have a natural aversion to grimdark in common. We're not big fans of pain and dark just to be pain and dark. So when Destiny says burn her and slowly so she doesn't forget how dying like this feels and we see her horror in the mask, like that might be the most over-the-top moment of the issue for me. It was absolutely chilling. It cemented in me a feeling of wow destiny knows just how to make this work for her plans it it, yeah that's why i keep saying if this is a gambit man i'm with you yeah it's it makes me like her more than i normally do and it's it's not something that i'm normally comfortable reading but here it really really works for me And I'm going to ask a weird question. Did everybody feel like, despite not a single line of dialogue indicating it, and one physical moment of touching, that Mystique and Destiny totally came off like a married couple here somehow? With, like, no exchange, barely any physical intimacy, John Hickman and Pepe Larraz really created a dynamic visual that showed me intimacy just by standing, and I really, really liked that. So, this next few pages, I want to talk about in, like, 18 bars. 
words. These next few pages were like the coolest things I've ever read, right? I've gotten Joey, our fearless leader Joey, to read this, and he actually was taking pictures of it and sending it to me. This is the coolest thing I've ever read. It It is so great. And I was so, so happy, Jonah, that this next few Moira lives, the first few pages sort of told like a what's what of things you already knew. You're familiar with the classic X-Men. You're familiar with the giant size X-Men. Even if you don't know too much about AVX, you've heard me at least complain about it. You know Sentinels. You know that there's another generation of kids because of new X-Men. There was nothing in this block of pages that didn't tie directly into what we were reading. Down to going after the Trask family and the X-Men all having to sacrifice themselves to stop Magneto. Nothing here was like new or shocking, but in so many ways it felt new and fresh. And I didn't feel like I was asking you to read something you've read again. Were the changes in the iterations dynamic enough for you? Or did you find yourself bored being someone who's just read a lot of this? I definitely wasn't finding myself bored because Moira is in a very interesting position now that she's aware of her powers and the threat that Destiny made to her that if she doesn't do what's right for mutant kind, she will kill her before her mutation occurs and she will actually die. Very fascinating. As Moira goes through her iterations, she's starting to learn what does and doesn't work and where she keeps having to make more drastic changes to the timeline, she was so afraid of failing that she has to compromise her own morality and side with people that we wouldn't really expect. Nothing new happens, but each time Moira goes through a different timeline of trying a different method to save mutant kind, it really puts into perspective what we've read from the current timeline, you know, I think about Moira having to go through everything multiple times to get to where she is. So much information is given to us with this old storytelling device, but now with this new perspective, I think it adds so much more. I agree. If for no other reason, we got new versions of things we already knew. Can we talk about the funniness of those two pages where it just looks like Magneto is trying to take over the world and he's floating Moira around on like a table? <laughs> <laughs> I love when she falls that it looks like she's falling wearing Toad's outfit. <laughs> Moira becomes Toad, new canon. Yeah. <laughs> I need to talk about Apocalypse and Lady Moira Apocalypse because I don't know how, but she somehow surpassed Moira Rose as my favorite Moira with ridiculous hair. I'm taken with Moira Apocalypse. She is like my everything. <laughs> definitely wasn't expecting the desperation from Moira to have to team up with Apocalypse, and it was really interesting to see her choose a villain even more, what the word is, but you one can make an argument of understanding why someone would join Magneto. You know, Magneto, while very radical, still offers an idea that would appeal to every mutant. Apocalypse only appeals to maybe certain mutants, so her teaming up with him is fairly fascinating. You know, I like that you're like certain mutants and I want to be like strong ones. If you're not strong, Apocalypse might not be for you. It's not going to go well. And it doesn't even matter if you're strong. It's if he decides that you're strong. So it's kind of like he's only in it for himself. I mean, he, he wears a giant belt of his own first initial. Okay, but like we would all be liars if we all didn't say we wouldn't be doing that if we could. I mean... Of course, the fact that this sequence manages to tie directly back to canon, they make this about the human-mutant-machine war, 
and we get Apocalypse, like, gut-fisting Nimrod, and then there's all of these creepy Sentinels that look kind of like Sentinels and maybe a little bit like Ultron in that way that all evil robots in the Marvel Universe always look a little bit like Ultron. And the fact that they were able to bring this back to the powers of 10 number one references to the mutant machine human war is, I think, why they're able to claim that these two books read as one. Kyle, were you relieved to see at least some connection back to Powers of Ten? Definitely. I mean, when we read House of X and Powers of Ten, there was definitely the connections there. So having the story reconnect in House of X 2, it furthers that idea that this isn't just two stories, it's one story. I very much, very much agree. Dylan, when you got to the point where they said that those were the first nine lives of Moira McTaggart and that there is not a single page of those nine lives of Moira McTaggart that we had seen before, how did that transform this character that you'd known all this time? Like you mentioned earlier about Moira being the person that has shaped the X-Men that we know and we're just now learning that. it This book is so good. <laughs> to, to make someone that's not at least to me, not been that interesting of a character and to change her completely to be one of the most amazing mutants ever in just one book and make her the linchpin of everything. This story is amazing. And I'm like with these apocalypse pages, I'm glad they referenced things that we read in Powers of Ten that we might have been a little confused on. And it's just kind of hard sometimes to talk about this issue because it was just so amazing. I completely agree. And to jump off what you're saying, I think it's really kind of amazing that they chose Moira to be the pinnacle because they could have chose someone else. But I really love that it's Moira because nobody would have expected this. Who out of everyone who was excited for this book and reading it could honestly say they thought Moira was going to be a mutant whose power was reincarnation and that she would be the one pulling the strings behind everything. And the thing I might love the most about what you're saying is Jonathan Hickman has been writing this in his head since he was a child. This story started coming to him when he read Giant Size X-Men number one. And it continued coming to him during the early formative years of the all-new, all-different X-Men. I'm blown away by how much I love this story. And then we get three short pages with just a handful of panels each. We discover that Moira has decided she's going to change everything in Life 10. And she's going to do it with the help of Charles Xavier. We get two pages that are the two pages of Powers of Ten. And then we get... Maybe the coolest piece of back matter of all time. We get the many lives of Moira X in which we discover that the 10 lives that Moira has lived out at this point are greatly detailed. And I just think it's incredible. It's mind blowing the amount of work that John Hickman puts into this. I found myself shocked by the ending and couldn't believe because I still don't know that this can be our Moira this year 10 that we're in cannot directly be our Moira because if you look at the timeline, it doesn't line up correctly. She does not meet Xavier in year 17, give birth to Proteus in year 31, and then then they recruit Magneto in 43. So that's not going to be the case. But 
I need to know how it's all going to come together. Jonah, how did you feel about that shock ending where everything is going to change and just now we're getting to Powers of Ten? I think this issue did so much for giving us the information we needed to start piecing the puzzle pieces together. I said piece a lot of times right there. To understand where this story is going to go. We didn't get everything, but we got a really important key and this is where Charles gets the idea from. This is a Charles who had to reform his thinking and to create a different plan to try to save mutant kind. You know, I think it kind of explains why Charles isn't in a wheelchair at any point. That's not the same Charles we've been used to. We just kind of got that we're in a completely different timeline right now than what we've been reading this entire time. Though everything up to the point has pretty much been the same, I would assume. Kyle, what did these last three pages and the timeline do to your brain? I honestly had a different take from Jonas. I realized that, yes, this is the timeline that we've been experiencing all along, but we never got all the details. And looking forward, it's like there are things that I'm wondering why certain characters are missing. I mean, we've everything that we saw in the House of X1 and Powers of 10 1 was mostly focused around Charles. We didn't see Moira at all in House of X1, did we? No. So No. At least not to our knowledge. Maybe we did right. in some form, but So I'm kind of wondering at what point did she stop influencing if she did or how much more she's influencing behind the scenes. I'm really wondering how far this multiversal fractal everything goes. Dylan, these last few pages, knowing that this Moira who sits down and puts this in Xavier's mind, this Moira is the Moira who's been a villain in four timelines, been an assassin in one or two others, cured the mutant genome in one timeline. This Moira was like Lady Apocalypse at one point. And here she is, the Moira we've always known and always loved. And she's trying to protect her precious Charles yet again. What raced through your mind alongside 60 years of X-Men? I'm confused, but in a good way. Because like Jonah said, like this Xavier is walking. And you can kind of tell by the outfits that this is slightly in the past. So I'm a little confused. Like you said, this doesn't seem like our Moira. Like, But I don't know when this Moira is even happening. Is this supposed to be the Moira from our normal timeline that we've always read? And this is just like a flashback that really did happen, but we didn't know that it happened. Yeah, I wondered, is this something that she planted in Xavier like 40 years ago? It's confusing and exciting. The scene at the end of House of X2 that's in Powers of X1, I believe happened in year zero. That is the year it was given. So that this is the start of the years of, then we'll get to year 10, year 100, year 1000. Guys, I need the next issue already. It's getting hard. It's getting hard <laughs> to wait seven days. It's getting really difficult. We didn't talk about the fact that the listing of the lives that Moira had completely skips one life. Oh, that's a good point. What happened in year six? Year six is nowhere on the map. And nowhere in the book. It went from life five to life seven. Okay, so... <clears throat> this just got so much more intense. Fuck! No, we're stopping anyway, Kyle! Where are you? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, Dylan, where can people find you other than blowing my brain apart? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N. 
And you can find me on Facebook at my Facebook group for X-Men called House of X. Jonah X, where can everybody find you? Apparently not in Moira's Missing Sixth Life. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Nico X, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me on This Amazing Show X is for Podcasts, not just here on the Powerhouse feed, but you guys can find me on the Monday feed as well, along with these guys doing classic X-Men stories. Don't forget to check us out on HTML as well, where currently Kevo and I are dissecting my favorite film franchise of all time, Alien. I'm still doing Now and Again with my best buddy Chris, finally back to the nows that the Carly Rae Jepsen summer of amazing is over. And we're doing a lot of fun stuff over there. Keep an ear out. You can also check out my hyper-diverse comic, Kid Riot, at KidRiotComics.com, as well as my music project, Action Duo, over at Facebook.com slash Action Duo. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. All right. And until next time, I am here. I have always been here. Moira X.